It's time for episode 127 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, March 9th, 2016. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that marches 9th. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I'm joined, as I am most weeks, by my co-host across this long country of ours, Mr. Jason Snell. March the 9th be with you, Dan. This is the tech podcast where we talk about four technology topics joined by two fantastic guests. To my left this week, staff writer for Greenbot and PC World, Ms. Florence Ion. Hi, Flo. Hello. To my left, it is the uh, he's the editorial director, I believe, of IDG UK. Is that right, Matt Egan? Yeah, let's let's call it editorial director. Sure, sounds good. Hello. All right, Dan. How do we do this? We do this by kicking off with this topic. Uh, so I read a story this morning um, that a a program backed by Google uh, called AlphaGo, which runs on the uh, Deep uh, Mind supercomputer, uh, managed to beat one of the world champions at Go. Uh, and a lot of people are sort of heralding this as a big leap forward for AI because Go is apparently even more of a, uh, you might call it even more of a humanistic game than even like chess or checkers, like something that can be sort of, you know, solved more algorithmically. Um, and so to beat uh, such a highly ranked player is uh, a pretty impressive feat. So my question for you guys is, uh, is this the machine uprising or is this just sort of another instance of a, of a piece of complicated technology that's managed to, you know, sort of simulate human elements. What do you guys think? Are you worried about the, the, the robot apocalypse? You should be, by the way. You should always be worried. Flo, what do you think? I mean, I am worried about the robot apocalypse, but I sort of feel like there's a way that we can all live together in harmony if we really have legislation that <laughs> helps with that. Perhaps I have too much trust in the government. You know, I have a little bit of reservation about just how much we're relying on on robots and sort of the future of robots being like, for instance, yesterday I was listening, this is slightly related, but yesterday I was listening to a piece on NPR in Japan. I guess they don't have like there, there isn't as much of a young workforce. And so there's nobody really around to take care of the elderly. So they're looking into like robots to keep people, you know, and in that case, I think that's great. But as far as the robot uprising, I mean, we've all seen AI. That was a sad movie. I'm concerned about this too, Dan. They told us for years and years. It's like, yeah, the computers can win in chess. It's it's okay. It's fine. Nobody's ever going to be able to program a computer that can win at Go because it it requires levels of thinking that only the human brain can accomplish. So I look at this story and I go, well, we're screwed. <laughs> this, is, this is it. Uh, but what? But on the upside, um, we will get. Um, while we're put into our uh, cages to be fattened up to serve the robot overlords, um, uh, we will gain a greater understanding of the game of Go. And this was the like the little uh, <laughs> silver lining at the end of that story on The Verge, as they they quoted an expert Go player as saying, "It's going to be really interesting to see the strategies that the machines use to play because they will probably be unlike any strategies that humans have used in this game. So they'll get a better idea." idea uh basically the machines will tell us how to play it better so that'll be awesome and we can use that to spend our time uh whiling away the years while we do nothing in cages that are controlled by robot overlords so look at the bright side i say 
Yeah, uh, I, th- I suspect I'm on the slightly different side of this, although I do like this idea of living in cages being fattened up. The fattened up <laughs> aspect of it in particular sounds <laughs> quite good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess there is this idea of the Pandora's box being open and that we're all doomed. But in reality, AI is here and we use it every day. You know, when you make a call to change your insurance payments or something like that, you are speaking to a robot in the first instance. And uh, not understanding the game of Go slightly hamstrings me in this answer. But the thing about AI is it doesn't know it's intelligent. So it may be able to win at Go, but it couldn't, for instance, use public transport. Uh, making it like a member of the British royal family, incidentally. Um, <laughs> Perhaps the robot uprising's already happened to you. <laughs> well, quite possibly, yeah. Uh, robots are lizards, one or the other. But there's um, so there is a threat, I think. But it's it's a threat to jobs potentially. But then you know, listen to the point Flo made earlier. Um, it's possibly a threat to jobs that people don't particularly want to do, like healthcare working or manual labour. Um, and I don't particularly see as heading down a Skynet uh, route, but then I would say that because I am actually a robot. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. That was a twist I didn't see coming. The computer saw that coming eight moves ago, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Last night I was actually watching an episode of uh, Planet Earth and I was thinking about, you know, sort of the evolution of humans and to the top of the food chain, etc. And I was thinking, well, what happens when you get to the top of the food chain? Well, inevitably you create the thing that will eventually <laughs> use you as prey. Uh, so maybe that's robots. I don't know. Um, I think the Go thing is really interesting because of the way it shows that that artificial intelligence can learn things and not only learn things, but learn things in different ways. As Jason was saying, it was surprising the players by using strategies that they would not use. Uh, and so I think that's a fascinating thing in and of itself. And, and Matt's totally right that these things don't know necessarily that they're intelligent. But, you know, is it so far-fetched to think that someday they might be? I don't know. So uh, I'm interested. I don't think that the uh, the robot uprising is imminent in any sense. Sorry, sorry, Matt. You're, you're, you'll have to stay in your, your cage getting fattened up for now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting to see how this uh, how this iterates and improves over time. Uh, so thank you all for your input on that one. That was topic number one. Topic number two comes from Flo. So um, yesterday was the great Galaxy S7 review unveiling um, across the web, the Samsung Galaxy S7, which is Samsung's flagship phone for the year. And I have to say, and I, I feel like um, Dan and Jason, you guys could really relate to this. But as I was reviewing this phone, um, you know, it's a great phone. Uh, I Honestly, my bottom line was that it's a near-perfect phone as long as you have the upgrade at your carrier to afford it, because it is still a $700 phone. Um, But I felt as I was reviewing it that it was more of like the S variant of the iPhone line. Um, It was only such an incremental improvement over its predecessor. And I mean, last year's phone was just so great. It was so great for Samsung. And this year, you know, it was still impressive, but I, I sort of ended my review thinking, is it still really worth paying this much money or being indebted to your carrier to be able to afford this kind of phone when in the Android sphere, there are so many phones that are just good enough between the four and $500 range. And I feel like this is something Apple is also exploring with, um, with the, the 5C line. So I'm curious to hear, you know, what you guys think if, if flagship phones are still worth the hype that, they've you know they've been getting these last couple of years 
I think this is a great question. And I, I was, yeah, you're right. I was really amused when I read your review yesterday, which is a great review and I'll link to it in the show notes, but um, it did have that moment and I totally got what you were saying, which is this is better than the last one. It's great that it's better than the last one. It's the best one out there. It's a <laughs> incremental improvement, but it's still great. And it's like, wow, I've written that review. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking of you, Jason, as I was writing. I was like, I remember reading this in an iPhone S review. <laughs> That's right. right. It's like, what, what, what can you say about it? It's better. Yeah. Uh, but, and that is a challenge, I think, with the smartphone market in general, is that we, we expect such explosive growth and innovation, and uh, things are settling down a little bit. There's a little more maturity there, um, and so it's a little less exciting. I are are they worth the cash is a great question. I think for a lot of people, they probably aren't, although this is in some ways the most important single piece of technology that anybody owns. Uh, so many people rely on their smartphones Very to connect true. them to everything they do. And if you amortize the cost over two or three years, um, it's probably not that – I mean, and they, they all have these financing programs. It's probably not that bad a deal. They are really beautiful. I think there's always going to be a place for high-end phones because they are so nice and uh, they've got features that the other phones don't have. So so having them be there is uh, important, but I think uh, you are absolutely right in suggesting that uh, there are other people out there who don't need to buy these kind of phones. The, these phones are so great. That means the cheaper phones are also pretty great. Yep. I, I bought a Nexus 5X to try out because I want to stay up on, on what's going on on the Android side. And it's a sort of cheapish phone-ish Um it's great. It's it's you know it's it's perfectly pleasant and yeah it's plasticky. It's not metally, but you know what? Um, it, it's fine. And then there are much cheaper phones than that that are perfectly fine for a lot of use. So I'd say they're they're worth it for some people. It's a very important product. You can spread the cost over a lot of time, but ultimately it's it is the high end of the market and it's not mandatory. There was a time when it was sort of like that was it. <laughs> yeah. And now it's not. You're you know, it's not it's not just that now. Yeah, I mean I'm broadly in agreement really. I think the phrase is peak smartphone. We've <laughs> we've reached a point where where the best are great and uh, exactly I also read Flo's oh. review and I think she's, she's entirely right um, if you own a Galaxy S6 there really is no reason to get the Galaxy S7 as awesome as the Galaxy S7 is um, and my own personal take on this is that uh, it is a problem for smartphone manufacturers because they've managed somehow and it's largely due to Apple to get us into this upgrade cycle of every one or two years we buy a new device and with, we're reaching the point where we are with products like laptops where you kind of need to replace it only when the old one breaks or stops yep. fit for purpose. Yeah. And my own dirty secret, I, I am, as you'd expect uh, as, of a robot, I am an Android guy also. Yay. That's, how, that's the body you use to move around, your Android Absolutely, body. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, uh, my, my phone is provided by my employer and it's an LG G4, which is a great phone. Love the display, incredible performance, absolute favorite phone I've ever had. Uh, a couple of months ago now, I dropped it on the pavement and did that whole slow motion shattering into a thousand pieces. <laughs> no! Uh, that, the whole experience. And so whilst it was being repaired, which took only a couple of weeks, I used a Moto G, which is a $150 phone. I mean, it, it, that, that it really is uh, at the cheaper end of the market. And even though I've had the LG G4 back for several weeks, I haven't actually started using it again, principally because the Moto G is pretty much unbreakable, which, as described, is useful for me. But also the battery lasts for two days. So so what I, I don't want to go back to what is palpably and measurably a better device because the Moto G offers that one killer function, which is more important for me because I'm on the go a lot and uh, it matters to me that I don't have to charge my phone every night. So 
that is my own personal illustration of the fact that I, I totally agree. I think I think that we have reached that point where the best are great and they get better, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to get them. Yeah, you guys are totally, I think, Matt, you totally nailed it, which is this whole idea that like it's commoditized to a certain extent, right? Like every smartphone that you can buy can roughly do the same thing. Some have, you know, more luxuries than others. It's a little, in some ways, it's a little bit like the car market, right? Like depends how fancy a car you want to buy, but all of them will get you from point A to point B. Uh, and so the question is, is there still a reason, you know, to buy a, if you want to call it a luxury phone, high-end phone, flagship phone, whatever, is there a reason to spend that extra money? Um, I guess it depends what you want out of your phone. And so I think it's interesting that we're also seeing the development of all these attempts for, you know, companies to enforce upgrade cycles. For example, like, you know, with the last go around on the iPhone, I ended up signing up for the, you know, the iPhone upgrade program, you know, so you can like swap your phone in every year. And the answer is, do I need a new phone every year? Of course, I don't need a new phone every year. Like, it's really not going to get that much better. I mean, you know, as a tech writer, I'm interested in and want to want to get the latest flashy, shiny thing, Mm -hmm. because that's just who I am. Um, But you know, for a lot of people, you know, it's interesting to me that I've been talking to people, you know, who are interested in this rumor that Apple's going to release a smaller phone because for them, that is the thing that makes a big difference is can I get something that's smaller because I don't want a large phone? And when I say, but, you know, won't it be, you know, not as good as like the big, like flashy, you know, flagship phone, they'll be like, I don't care. I just want a smaller phone. Um, And so we have hit that point, I think, where because so much of the low hanging fruit has been taken as they update every different every year and add those new features in, that curve is, you know, you're hitting more of a plateau there where it's just like, well, you know, how much more is there? that we can do that's really based on getting a new phone how much stuff is just about the updates that we throw in every time we you know release a new version of ios or android os um and i think the answer is that the the hardware stuff is getting harder and harder and it might be to the point where we're looking at as matt said you know like your laptop where if it breaks you replace it with a new one but otherwise you don't really upgrade it so regularly so yeah i i think that that you know it's it's less pressing to upgrade every year than it was say a few years ago all right, great topic. Uh, we we have two topics down, two more great topics to go. Uh, it's halftime. Let me tell you about our halftime sponsor. This episode of Clockwise brought to you by Linode, a combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers spread across eight data centers around the world. Make Linode a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. Linode is my server infrastructure. All of the stuff that I do on the internet, that includes the incomparable, and it includes uh, sixcolors.com. It's all run from a single Linode server. It's all on, on one thing and it's backed up using Linode's backup service. I recommend it highly. You can get a server up and running in under a minute. Plans start at just $10 a month. You can choose your resources, choose your Linux distro, choose your node location, all from their super easy-to-use web-based manager tool. And once you're up and running, you can easily deploy, boot, and resize that virtual server with a few clicks. It's super easy to have your own Linux server, high-performance server, on the internet. They've got native SSD storage, powerful Intel E5 processors, access to a super-fast 40-gigabit network with multiple levels of redundancy, They've got uh, support, uh, friendly 24-7 support team. They're open even over the holidays. They have an API so you can automate tasks or develop custom apps. They have hourly building, billing with a monthly cap. You're not going to get a super shocker surprise if your uh, server gets a lot of use. And they are always improving their in- infrastructure. So whether you want to run a private Git server or host a large database or run a mail server, operate powerful applications, run a podcast network, or even just set up your own website like I did, you can do it with with Linode. And as a listener to Clockwise, if you 
sign up at linode.com slash clockwise. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash clockwise. You'll support us and get $20 toward any Linode plan. And there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's no reason to not give it a try. Linode.com slash clockwise. Take advantage of that $20 credit or just use the promo code clockwise20 when you check out. Thank you to Linode for supporting Halftime on Clockwise. All right, topic number three is mine. Apple uh, was turned away at the doors of the Supreme Court this week in the United States, uh, and that ends essentially their prosecution into collusion with publishers over ebook pricing. Ebook stuff used to be a really hot topic, and now I feel like it's cooled, and I can't help but 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 wonder uh, what happened to the ebook revolution. So I just wanted to check in with everybody here and ask: Are you reading ebooks or are you reading paper books? Or both, or neither. I'm kind of curious. What? How do you read books right now? And if you do use a device, I'd be interested to know what device or devices you use to read books. So I do read both analog paper-based books uh, and eBooks, but principally eBooks. Um, and the device I use is actually a first-generation iPad Mini. Um, I do own a Kindle. Uh, but my wife uses that most of the time, principally because I'm a great husband, uh, but also because, uh, almost speaking back to the smartphone conversation, um, it is definitely the best reading experience. And I would argue better than reading a book, um, but uh, it's not so much better than the iPad mini that it I feel like I need to take an additional device around with me. Um, and the things I like about reading ebooks are it gets me away from that anxiety of finishing a book and not having any, anything else to read. Um, it allows me to uh, read in bed uh, because it's backlit and I don't have to have a light on. Uh, again, great husband. Um, and um, it also um, allows me to, I actually find the way of acquiring ebooks is quite interesting because it, it leads me down uh, reading alleyways I wouldn't necessarily go. And then there's also that thing of um, if for any reason I don't have my iPad with me, I can also read using uh, my smartphone. Um, so, you know, from, from a convenience point of view, it's, you know, I'm fully behind uh, ebooks. Uh, and I also like, you know, uh, the opportunity to publish. Um, which, uh, you know, has been great. Like my dad wrote a book about his favourite soccer team um, and it was pretty trivial for me to edit it for him and publish it for him and, and that's something that he's really enjoyed and now we can see that, you know, four or 500 people have read it. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm big thumbs up for ebooks. Yeah, I, I just want to agree with Matt. He is a great husband. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, I, I also read both uh, ebooks and paper books. I tend to buy only paper books that it's like authors that I particularly love um, and so, you know, when a new book comes out by them, I, I often want to buy a, a, a hard copy of it. Um, but I do end up with the same thing with ebooks. A, they often end up very cheaply discounted. So I will see something like, oh, you know, a lot of people were mentioning this book to me and it's on sale today for like $2. Yeah, I'll totally buy that. Um, and it, it, you know, it has unsurpassed convenience as far as that goes. When I go on vacation, it means I can throw my Kindle in the bag and I can have like six, six different books to read as opposed to lugging around giant hardcover books, which I've done. Um, my biggest complaint is I just feel I, I don't enjoy reading on the Kindle as much as I enjoy reading a physical book. I don't know why. I don't know if that's just a like a weird uh, nostalgia thing or what, but like I just don't feel like I get as much out of the experience. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I but that said, I still end up, you know, just being attracted by the convenience.
convenience and ease of, of being able to read stuff on the Kindle? Um, I am actually, uh, I have backtracked a little bit on this whole um, ebook life of mine. I used to be just like Dan, where somebody would say, these books are on sale, and I would just go buy a ton and just add them to my Amazon account. And so now I have all these books that I just have not touched, these ebooks. Um, but actually, I've, uh, I've shifted my digital reading life a little bit. So I actually now subscribe to Texture, which is the all-you-can-eat magazine app. And I just, I love magazines. I've, you know, it's part of the reason I started in the magazine industry, you know, years ago. Um, and so I'm constantly reading, like I'm constantly shifting between back and forth of like Vanity Fair and People Magazine because I just want to read everything. Um, and I've gone back to physical books because the only way to sort of force myself to make time to read is by having a physical stack of books by my bedside. I literally have a, I would say, foot and a half tall stack of books right now <laughs> that I need to get through. Um, eventually I will get to them. Uh, so I guess you could say I've become a book hoarder <laughs> and I've just sort of switched over to digital magazines as my main form of entertainment, which I do read on um, a Samsung tab, Galaxy Tab S2. So that's that. this is why I asked the question is I, I was looking for a, a, an interesting answer like that, which is digital <laughs> magazines and paper books. And that that's interesting because yeah. I, I hear from people who 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 uh, do both. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I am, so to answer my own question, I read almost exclusively on a Kindle and occasionally I'll read on my iPhone if I'm somewhere where I just have my iPhone, but generally I'm reading on a Kindle. I like the e-ink reading experience, like everything Matt said about that. And, uh, every now and then though, with ebook pricing and, uh, the way it is and the fact that my wife works at a library, you know, if it's a book that I can get at the library and it's not something that I, I feel like I want to own, I just want to, I want to read it and I know that I'm going to read it fairly fast so I can check it out and check it back in. I will also read a paper book from the library, but I don't think I've bought a paper book in a very long time. Time other than like a graphic novel collection or something like that. So that's 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 where I am. I should go to the library. That's mm -hmm. a great idea. <laughs> library. Everyone. Are, everyone should go to the library. The library is your friend. All right. Great. Uh, great topic. We've got one more. Matt, what do you have for us? I wanted to talk about email. Um, this week, Ray Tomlinson, the godfather of, of email, has passed on to the great inbox in the sky, um, <laughs> and it got me thinking about this 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 tool or this technology that's part of all of our lives. It's ubiquitous in business, but it can be a bit of a time sink, and I, I personally get irritated with colleagues who who spend time quotes on email. Um, but I also find myself having to train people not to respond to email at all times because you can end up with lots of activity but no real productivity. Um, I was speaking to some of my younger colleagues today and thinking also about the reaction of my nephews and nieces to me using email. Uh, and they use it in a very different way and they consider it uh, in much the same way as I would consider a letter or a memo when I first started working. And in fact, I actually find it quite amusing that I am so reliant on email and I don't use, or I don't use properly in their eyes, Slack or the other tools that we have here. Um, they, you know, they prefer to use messenger tools and social media, which I also use, um, but they consider email strictly a, a form of work thing, again, like a letter. So Email is also threatened by spam and marketing and the fact that it's a publishing medium. And it just got me to thinking, 
where is email today? And I was, I was really interested to know what your guys' relationship with email is and if it's changed at all. It's interesting. I just wrote a piece on, on Macworld this past week uh, about email and things Apple could do to improve sort of its handling of email. And I think it's interesting because we have all these different mediums, right? We have text messages, we have Slack, we have Twitter and Facebook and all these different ways of communicating with people, both publicly and privately. Uh, and email, you know, you might be starting to think like, well, maybe email will start to fade away. And yet it seems to be even more uh, more strong than ever, at least for me. I still do a lot of work via email. I get a lot of, you know, stuff, uh, communication from business people, friends, family, all that stuff via email. Um, but I don't think the tools to to deal with it have improved hugely uh, over the over the last decade or so. Um, there's definitely some improvements. I, I like the, even though I'm not a Gmail user, uh, I like the stuff that Google has done with sort of trying to, you know, triage your email for you to help you spend less time on it. Um, I, I wish Apple would take a step in that direction and spend some time trying to help us, you know, use that machine learning that can beat people in Go and bring it to, to bear on the email problem. Because I do still end up getting a lot of, you know, messages from sites I subscribe to, coupons, you know, promotional emails, all this crap that I don't want to read. And I spend all my time, oh, I've got a new email. I go over it. Oh, I got a new email. Oh, uh, I don't care about this. Delete it. Um, so I think that, you know, kids definitely have uh, a different relationship with email and the younger generations probably using it, it less or in different ways. I don't think it's going anywhere. I, and I wish that, you know, I wish it was a little more streamlined, but, uh, at the same time, it is still such a huge part of my day. I've got to say, I have a different relationship with email than, than you, Dan. Um, I've, uh, emails also had a resurgence in my social life because, um, so I don't know if you consider me part of the quote unquote younger generation, but <laughs> um, sorry, maybe I should have made an older crotchy to oh, get your email off my lawn. Um, so, you know, a lot of us have a lot of us have entered our 30s. A lot of us have started families, gotten married, paired off. And we a lot of us have moved moved away. Um and sort of like I'm deep in the I'm deep in the burbs now. And the best way for me to keep in touch with my friends is not through Facebook or Instagram. It's through email. And honestly, we use it just kind of like um, we use it like a message board. We will just add on and add on to email lists. We'll toss around like ideas for trips we can take together. We'll send around memes that you know, like it'll just sit in my inbox until I'm ready to deal with it. And then I can react to it when I have um, when I have a chance from work. And it makes me feel connected to my friends. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, you know, and not only that, but I will say, so you were talking about uh, Google and sort of what it's trying to do to help um, organize your email. I'm going to tell you, in my experience, I feel like inbox and Gmail are kind of a mess. And perhaps it's my fault because I just subscribe to so many things. Um, but I use my Gmail account as sort of a feed. So I have like Google News uh, keywords that I subscribe to um, because I don't use the Google News page. I just want to read it later when I can get to it. Um, so I have that that I pay attention to. I, I use coupons. So I'm always looking forward to, oh, do I have 20% off in American Apparel? Oh, man, I should buy myself something nice this week. I've been working hard. Um, so my email is like, uh, it's like my daily Amazon shipment. I'm always looking forward to it. And there's always something waiting for me when I get home. I think email gets a bad rap because it has been 
obligatory and it is default. Everybody basically has it. And so as a result, email gets used for a lot of stuff that it's bad for or that there wasn't any better way to do it. So people just stuck it all in email. And that's actually what I found. My email is a lot easier to process now and I hate it a lot less. So much has gone into Slack. And so much has gone onto onto Twitter or onto Facebook that um, email can be what it's good at, and it's good as a reliable way to reach people um, for very specific needs. So I actually think that the best thing that could have happened to email is that a lot of junk that doesn't need to be an email and anymore got moved to some other service that can do a better job with it, and then your email is uh, a little bit relieved. Well, this is really interesting because that's exactly why I posed the question. And we've only just introduced Slack. And my concern is, on the one hand, it can be a distraction if used incorrectly. But on the other hand, it's too easy to ignore. So we have, as I'm sure most uh, editorial teams do, we have an email that goes out in the morning, which is to do with trending topics and what's here's what's interesting, here's what's happening. Let's Let's throw some ideas together. And... It's too easy to ignore when it's on Slack. And the thing about email is, exactly to your point, Flo, um, when that person gets round to checking and triaging their email, it's there and it, mm-hmm. and it requires a response. Whereas uh, a tool like Slack, which is incredibly useful for other things, um, it's just a bit too much of a constant that you can dip into and out of, and it doesn't require a response. That's a great topic. Uh, the four great topics this week, don't you think, Dan? I totally agree. Uh, but we've still got time for a really super quick bonus topic. I fly a decent amount. I imagine many of you do too. Uh, mm-hmm. So here you go. Window or aisle? Aisle. I gotta, I gotta be able to get up and, and just walk around. Window because I have kind of broad shoulders. And when I sit on the aisle, the drink tray smacks Aww. me in the shoulder. Uh, I'm very much an aisle guy because I would rather be disturbed by someone else getting up uh, and then coming back than feel that I need to disturb someone else oh, in yes. a comfortable social way. And I, too, am an aisle person for both the reasons Matt and Flo mentioned. Also because at, you know, over six feet tall, I like <laughs> most airline seats don't accommodate that very well. So I sometimes stick my feet into the aisle and then get run over by the drink cart, which is mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> drink cart. Uh, I think that's it. So let's just thank our guests, Florence Ion. Thanks you so much for being here. Thank you guys so much for having me. And Matt Egan, thank you all the way from the UK. It's great to hear from you. Thank you so much. Jason, that's another show in the uh, in the archives there. They'll use it against us in the trial. <laughs> we'll be back next week, but actually I won't be here. Dan will you, be. You won't be. Dan you will be, be solo back, with three, three guests next week. Three fantastic guests. All right. But uh, until I'm back and no, uh, just until next week when Dan will take care of you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.